Hi everyone, my name is Bata Vichak and this is Fashion Knowledge, a podcast educating, disrupting and shaping fashion futures. Fashion Knowledge is brought to you by Unfolding Strategies, a consultancy and education lab for digital, inclusive and sustainable fashion in Web3. Okay, I would like to welcome our special guest today. Um, it's David Cash, the CEO and founder of Cash Labs, which is, as he said just a second uh, before his baby. So yeah, he runs Cash Labs, an NFT and blockchain consultancy, uh, which stands up his previous and extensive experience in media production and his interesting uh, master thesis that he did at Polymoda, all about NFTs. Maybe David will tell us a little bit more about it too, because as you know, I'm very interested in education. He is also the editor-in-chief uh, of NFTs What the Fuck, contributor to Vogue Singapore, and officially a curator of the Central Land, which I would like us to talk a bit more about. Welcome, David. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you too. Uh, we actually met uh, as I was one of the speakers on one of the panels during the Metaverse Fashion Week, and it was a very interesting conversation, so I think it would be great you know, now to reverse uh, the situation and now I'll be the one asking you questions. So maybe let's start from uh, from curating, you know, what does it mean to curate digital fashion? How does it yeah. I mean, I think that the role of a curator has definitely changed um, as we've moved into the digital realm. Um, I mean, for a long time, we've always kind of had the, um, you know, conundrum of uh, what art do we want to include and what art is available to be included? I mean, that's always, you know, the, the conundrum of the curator. Um, but I think in the digital realm, that even happens on a on maybe a, a, a larger case, um, if that makes any sense, just because, mm -hmm. um, you know, some digital artworks, while yes, massive paintings and sculptures do take very long, you know, periods of times to create, same with, you know, pieces of art couture. But um, virtual garments as well do take a ton of man hours to, to produce. Uh, and also, you know, facilities to render them. So I think a lot of people are um, hesitant to uh, create work if they don't have a clear, you know, kind of financial component to it. So I think that's like one of the number one challenges in, in curating digital work. For the most part, it has to be existing work or if it's work that's being created, there has to be a purpose or it has to be some kind of a financial incentive. component. Yeah, incentive, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and I think that that poses uh, an interesting challenge, um, but at the same time, I think it results in the curator. The I think it results in the curator playing more of a role of um, somebody who empowers artists and works with artists, and you know keeps in touch with them throughout their careers. You know, the reason I'm able to kind of curate on an ongoing basis, especially in the metaverse, is because I have relationships with many of the people who create in this you know realm. I work with them outside of the realm of you know curating them, and I you know I have an awareness of of what they're doing and what their you know current practices are. So it's easier for me to, you know, be like, okay, these things, these things make sense, or these things line up, and then, um, you know, put those in a, in a gallery context or in a, in a fashion show context, uh, depending on what we're talking about. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting, but very often when we think about curating, you know, for me, it's about like, thinking, what's the audience, what story we're trying to tell, uh, in what space is happening, and how it all resonates together. Uh, and when we think about narratives and what free, there's a lot of conversation you know, about inclusion, making those who couldn't participate before, for example, in fashion, to open up to them. So do you think that, you know, curating digital fashion as you are practicing it now, as you're doing it now, is it also open to telling all those other stories or this is still quite early on? Like, 
can we can we even make those kind of claims that digital fashion is embracing plurality and is inclusive and diverse in that context? I like to think so. I mean, one thing I've talked about a lot this month, um, over the past month, uh, being Pride Month in, in various panels in Decentraland and otherwise, um, is the idea of how we bring our identities into the metaverse. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think it's really important for me. Maybe it's it's just inherent and I, and I almost don't even think about it because, you know, I am a storyteller. I am I am somebody who loves perpetuating narratives. You know, I write. Um, I create. I've created films. You know, I've, I've created art. I, I love perpetuating narratives and I do that in, in pretty much everything I do and definitely through, through curating. Um, and also at the same time you know i've i've personally at least in, in when i think about my personal narratives i've you know i've worked for lgbtq plus organizations for many years um you know I've, I've always kind of had an activist part of what i do so i almost don't think about it. it's almost just inherent to to, to my work mm-hmm. but but to your point i think absolutely i think i think it's important um to include um you know activism activism and even just making statements uh within curation um because otherwise what's the point um you know i think that every show should have some kind of a crux or some kind of a a uh, you know value proposition on the on the people who are attending it. Um, I always like to think you know in a very um, I guess contemporary media type way, uh, maybe also in a very Web three type way, um, in terms of what value are we providing anytime you know we're putting out content or putting out you know producing a show, even if it's a virtual show. Um, so so yeah, I think I think um, you know the narrative and and you know the the necessity of tying in some kind of a, a backbone to the story, I think is inherent to, to a lot of the curation work I do. Um, but also at the same time, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done to your point. I do think that there are a lot of sites and I don't want to like, you know, I think there are a lot of sites that are doing great work. Like, I mean, look at what super rare is doing for pride month as well with uh, super queer and super trans. I think that's beautiful, but you know, there's other platforms that just do generic kind of drops that don't really have, you know, much of a, a purpose or, or, or a narrative. Um, and, and some of them sell, some of them don't. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, a clear narrative and a clear purpose for a project or a curated drop or a gallery can only help on every level from sales to mm. the enjoyment of the participants. Um, yeah, every level. Yeah, context is important. And definitely, when it's associated with right values, it can be very, very strong. But we're talking about it now quite generally. So what are like, uh, you know, projects that we can, I don't know, your current projects or something coming in the future. You mentioned that you're working something exciting with uh, Nick Knight and Show Studio. So how those ideas in this kind of, let's say, I don't know, way of thinking, otherwise methodology of working, how, how is basically put in action? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of examples I think that we're seeing. I think one thing that I'm really excited by is, you know, the combination that we're seeing right now of physical and digital spaces. Um, You know, we're seeing a lot of examples of something happening IRL that also gets extended uh, URL, you might say. and, and I can give a few, but but also I think one thing that I, I'm doing a lot of right now, which I think is almost more exciting for me because we are already seeing a lot of these digital, you know, examples, um, but it's, you know, creating interoperable metaverse experiences. So that's something I'm trying to do a lot with my gallery. It is something that we're going to do. Um, Nick Knight has a collection dropping in, in July, which I'm really excited to, to be helping facilitate. Um, and I believe that we're going to be doing a show um, in my gallery, and it's going to be, you know, an interoperable metaverse experience. And, and what that means when we're, when we're talking about interoperability in the metaverse in terms of an exhibition, it's the ability to go in and out of that experience seamlessly. So, you know, even just the simple ability, you know, to click 
from a, a video on a wall in one metaverse and go to another website. That's inherently open. Um, but one thing I'm even trying to push further with some exhibitions, I'm doing one, I'm actually launching in a few days. I don't. I, I think it'll already be out by the time uh, this comes out. Um, but I'm doing this also in Decentraland. We're doing. We're taking over one floor of my gallery with an artist, Mike Ruiz. Um, he has a, another collection for Pride called Leatherman. And um, we're, we're putting 15 to 20 pieces on one floor of my gallery. And then we're adding a portal that will lead the, the user to spatial another metaverse solution and um, they will actually be able to see the full 100 piece collection in spatial because spatial doesn't have land limits um, so I think that's a really interesting use case I think it's I think it's interesting when we start seeing gallery shows um, try to take things further and and you know to the point of trying to be true to you know a company or, or an artist or a brand um, you know he Mike wanted to show all 100 pieces. You know, the the context of his collection specifically was showing these 100 pieces together. And I think the, the you know, interoperability in the metaverse was a way that we could do that. So, you know, that's just one example. I think that, you know, when, when I did my – part of my curation for Metaverse Fashion Week um, was also, you know, taking over this gallery. This is actually when I got the gallery from Decentraland. It was um, more or less a gift. Excuse me. Can I, can I ask you one question? For, for, <laughs> I bless you. I was <laughs> Sorry, thank you. For the people who uh, – don't know what you mean when you say your gallery and for the people who don't know when you say Decentraland and when you say my gallery in Decentraland, yeah. could you just uh, quickly explain it? Because I think to some people tuning in, it might be you know, quite hard to comprehend. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Decentraland is one of the largest metaverse solutions currently available. Um, they have about half a million monthly users um, and they're about five years old. They started initially as a, a, a VR integration a virtual world for vr platforms now it's solely um you know an xr experience available via our laptops or computers um, it's only available via desktop um that being said um there are a lot of users and there are a lot of things that happen there um Decentraland is also a foundation and it's also a DAO. So Decentraland is a non-for-profit organization. The foundation is the company that started Decentraland and that's who I work with um, and, and for. Um, and then there's the Decentraland DAO, which who are, who are essentially the users. Uh, Decentraland is one of the earliest examples of a DAO ecosystem or a, or a decentralized autonomous community ecosystem, which essentially means that the community governs the, the ecosystem. So a lot of key, um, you know, propo- uh, components of Decentraland's framework, um, you know, voting in in uh, grant proposals, um, adding nodes to their uh, to their blockchain, um, all of these things, all of these types of things are voted by a DAO. So I work with the Decentraland Foundation as a curator, um, and the first time I got to work with any work with them, um, the first time I got to work with them hands on directly, um, opposed to you know working with them on another project for a client was Metaverse Fashion Week, um, and that's something that happened. Um, earlier this year, <laughs> which was very exciting, um, and this was this was something that was initially a pipe dream that turned into a very um, you know exciting reality. Um, it's something that I got to work with Sam, the creative director, and Giovanna, um, their event producer, and Shibu, their art director, and the whole team very directly on. Um, I have to mention all their names because they did so much work on it. Um, but yeah, one one of the things that they gave me in in return for for curating this event and helping them produce this event um, was six plots of land. They have um, you know, Decentraland is divided into uh, various unique plots of land, which can typically be bought. Um, most of these are quite expensive right now, so uh, I was definitely grateful. But they gave me six plots of land in the uh, Crypto Valley District, which is one of the core districts of Decentraland. And they helped build for me uh, a beautiful four-store uh, virtual art gallery, uh, which I'm currently calling the Cash Labs Gallery. Um, and I put on a show featuring over 20 artists, um, ranging from uh, the Dematerialized and and Luxo, of course, uh, to um, Botair Pair 
Harris, um, to trans icon Laurel Charleston, um, to Nick Knight and Show Studio doing a film festival on the rooftop. Um, we had a really packed uh, programming in that building, but then also throughout the week. So Decentraland also just kind of gave me my own framework to build off of on top of helping them with the overall event, which was which was a real pleasure. Amazing. Thank you for taking us, you know, to the Decentraland and explaining what it is. And also I hope people gallery. can check it out. It, it's really a great experience. Yeah. Decentraland.org, if, if you have a moment. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and go to Crypto Valley and find Cashbox Gallery and go there. Actually, I, I found out recently because of all the all the Fashion Week press, if you Google uh, Cash Labs Gallery Decentraland, it comes up, which is very nice. <laughs> it's very, 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 very good. Okay, and then, so then um, how do you see, because your role in digital fashion ecosystem, or I should say, you know, an NFT and blockchain ecosystem is... Uh, quite interdisciplinary, very creative, you're, you know, you're doing many things. How do you see your role in this ecosystem now? And how do you imagine it evolving in the next years? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I see myself um, kind of integrating in a few different ways. So anytime I talk to uh, new clients or, or new people that I'm kind of introducing myself to, I always say there's there's me and there's my company. Um, so Cash Labs is, is an entity that I'm very much, as I mentioned before, is my baby. It, it, it's very much something that I'm working on growing right now um, and building, as everybody says in this space. Um, Cash Labs is a, an agency that helps bring Web3 projects to market. Um, I've had the pleasure of working on a bunch of projects on a whole bunch of different levels over the past few years. Um, and there's a bunch of learnings I've kind of gotten from all of those experiences. And I do believe that most, and I do mean most because every every project is unique, but most NFT projects are in some way formulaic. And they're not all the same, but there are categories that we can, you know, kind of put projects mm-hmm. in. There's processes that, that um, I've created basically to help take these types of projects to market. I do think that these processes are highly dependent on the project being a good project uh, inherently. Um, but, you know, since we pick, since we have the pleasure of picking and choosing a lot of our clients, um, we kind of have these these systems that we're bringing people down. So uh, a big a big part of how I'm working in the space is through my company and helping bring a lot of projects to market. Some of them from scratch, you know, for instance, like Estee Lauder came to us uh, before fashion. We can just said, help us, you know, create an experience, propose something and help us produce it. So, you know, we can be full service and we've done that. But most of the time, you know, we're, we're helping um, create narratives. We're helping, you know, create campaigns. Um, we're really we're really telling stories and creating user experiences, which are the things that I personally really enjoy doing. Um, beyond my company, myself personally, you know, I'll, I'll take on a few specific roles. I'll take on the role of advisor for some companies. I'll take on the role of curator for some companies, as you've seen. Um, I'll speak, I'll lecture. Um, but for the most part, what I really love doing is high-level creative ideation and strategy. So, you know, high-level PR, high-level campaign development, um, you know, strategy from square one of a project. Like, these are the things that personally really excite me. Um, and beyond that, I think another one of the reasons that I think that Cash Labs and, and you know, by extension myself have been successful thus far in the space um, is because it's it's kind of funny when I say it this way, but it's almost our like Canadian attitude. Um, we, we do, I do have a very much an affinity to help people. I, I want to see this space grow genuinely. Um, mm-hmm. So thereby, I really want to connect people. So a, a lot of a lot of my friends will kind of consider me like the glue between them and a lot of other people in the space because, you know, I'll, I'll make the initial connection and I'll make sure that those connections thrive because um, there, there are a lot of people working in this space, I believe, within silos, you know, very independently because this is such a decentralized ecosystem. Like we are so global mm-hmm. um, and so many of us either work alone or in a very small group, almost in a vacuum. Um, and I think it's really important to facilitate connections between people um, who can help each other. And a lot of the time, some of the best projects that I get to work on um, end up being, you know, really synergistic relationships between my clients and between my friends, ultimately. Um, and, and those are the projects that I end up having the most fun on. 
on because you know I end up I'm, I'm working with two separate parties who are who are both you know engaging me separately and we're essentially all working together doing something that we're all genuinely really enjoying so um, I think that the scope of my work has definitely changed over the past you know let's say decade I ran a production company for seven years I've definitely paid my dues I've I've done every job from like a stylist to to hair and makeup to uh, you know line producer to art director to you know uh, having to get up at four o'clock in the morning and carry a fridge up a flight of stairs uh, you name it I've probably done it in the space but um yeah I think that now as I said I'm, I'm really personally focused on um creative ideation and seeing what we can do differently um since we're since we're still at the bleeding edge we always have to figure out how can we innovate further and what can we do differently yeah and speaking that's great I love what you said about you know bringing people together and uh, working with clients working with people who are your, your your friends I think I think that's very valuable and I I always really appreciate that and I think you know there's a there's really a lot of value and strength in, in doing that. I really, I really don't like when you have those friends, you know, who have like one group of friends and another, and they kind of try to have different identities and keep them all apart. I'm always very suspicious of that. Um, but my, you're like, you can't meet my other group of friends. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're like, not why? allowed. These are my work colleagues. Actually, like, I will say, like, not to interrupt you, but I will say one of my favorite things have always been. Uh, bringing disparate groups of people together. I think that's yeah. maybe one of the reasons I really enjoy like NFT onboarding and, and metaverse onboarding because mm-hmm. it's it's this it's almost it's not shock value but it's it's bringing something to people that they otherwise would have never heard of, which I think mm-hmm. inherently is exciting. But even back in my production days, I remember in music videos and commercials, I would try to do things like bring together like straight male rappers and drag queens and just put them in the same room and put on music and like put, you know, have have a music video scene playing, just ask them to dance. And just like, I, I want to see genuine human interactions with people who wouldn't typically, you know, mm-hmm. um, come together. And that's and that, I think that's also part of the job of a curator uh, as yeah, well, you know, when we're, when we're creating a show. Um, how can we bring together disparate ideas that actually do work together so anyway coming coming back to the original point uh that's also yeah. you know uh, a cool thought and something that i'm also really excited by and i think that if, if you can get if you can get that kind of excitement uh by doing these kinds of things that that bodes well for for your uh, you know ability to turn that kind of thing into a career <laughs> yeah definitely but you use the word onboarding and that people not normally like you know do those things so let's go there let's talk a little bit yeah. about how this podcast is called so it's called fashion knowledge so, you know, NFT, blockchain, there's a lot of knowledge to be uh, redistributed, shared, and also produced still in that space. Totally. So how do you, because now it's like, it's still a very bipolar uh, kind of environment. Uh, either it's dramatic no, or it's a rather dramatic yes. It's either hyper ecstatic or super dystopian. So like, right. how do you, uh, I don't know, in general, how do you approach it in the beginning? Because obviously you mostly are, you know, in touch with people uh, and in proximity to people who are very curious or excited about it. But how do you kind of onboard people, as you said? And also, what do you think, you know, we should all learn more about in that space? No, it's a very good question. Um, mm-hmm. I think that one of the, just given the context of this podcast, considering that it's a fashion knowledge podcast, I think I'll mention one thing. I made my first NFT in 2019, but I didn't understand what it was, if I'm being perfectly honest. I, I, I went through the steps, but I didn't really understand mm-hmm. um, the fundamentals of, you know, the ecosystem. Um, it was 2020. I was listening to one of the early clubhouses. And this was back when Clubhouse, I, I've mentioned this before, but this was back when Clubhouse had, um, you know, a bunch of people who would otherwise never be there. Like now they would never be there. You know, directors of companies, celebrities, you know, it was just a very invite only, very small group of people. And I happened to have gotten an invite for a friend on my birthday. So I was listening to to a room um, and it, there was like some director from Marc Jacobs, some director from like Ferragamo, like a whole bunch of fashion people were in this room. And they were talking about NFTs and they were talking about, you know, just simply the idea that 
if you're selling a high value item, um, mm-hmm. a real item, a purse, a watch, a necklace, um, right now, you know, that item is going to come with a ton of means of certification inherently. You know, it's going to come with a physical certificate. You're going to get a membership card, some plastic card. You're going to get added some database. They're going to send you emails. There's a whole bunch of things that come with that card, that, that item. Um, and they were just, te- they were just saying that NFTs essentially encapsulate all of those things and store the data of your purchase on the blockchain. So without you having to, you know, carry around a Prada membership card and your, 12 page, you know, physical certificate and the box it came in and the original receipt and all of these things, um, you can just have a digital certificate of what you bought. And that was kind of the aha moment for me because I was like, oh, wow, um, that's so much easier um, because I'm a pragmatist. I always think, you know, if something's easier, I definitely think people are going to adopt it because we're lazy. You know, people are really lazy. Like I love Uber Eats. I hate going grocery shopping because I'm really busy uh, and, and it works for me. Um, I don't necessarily encourage that for everybody listening, but it works for me. Um, not a sponsor, but yeah, it's not a sponsor from Uber Eats, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I think when we're t- when we're talking about um, the virtual space and NFTs in the metaverse, um, I think it's really a, a matter of of ease and addition. So one thing I also like to say in this conversation, so that for me was the first thing that made sense for NFTs. Also, one thing I'll mention before I go on my my one little tangent. Um, beyond that, I think NFTs once you understand them as a technology and not as a sensational idea. Um, I think they become a lot less scary. Um, mm-hmm. And we can, when we consider that virtual wearables are NFTs, virtual land are NFTs, you know, access to uh, a lot of the DAOs and, and communities that I'm a part of are NFTs, and a lot of the art I own are NFTs. You know, NFTs are really, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot less of a static system than many people think. And anything can be an NFT. It's, just, it's essentially just information stored on the blockchain instead of ser- stored on a server as we would have on the internet. Um, and, and thereby it's much more secure and we're able to transact it uh, financially and between each other. Um, when we talk about the metaverse, and this is the thing that, you know, when we're talking about first timers or people who may not be within the conversation right now, um, sometimes I have, you know, like my parents' friends or, or people who um, I'll mention the metaverse or something and they have this immediate reaction, um, kind of uh, a very protective reaction, I believe, mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, I, I don't want my kids in the metaverse. It's going to take them away from their lives. Um, you know, it's going to detract from their lives. It's going to suck them further into the screens that we're already on, you know, all day long on our phones. You know, it's already a <laughs> it's already a conundrum. Um, yeah. But what I think um, is the opposite. I believe that, you know, metaverse platforms and virtual experiences are additive functions to our lives. You know, I believe that, you know, the way that we should look at virtual experiences at we should look at them as what can we add to our lives that we otherwise could not do in our immediate um, confines of physical reality. Um, you know, when we think on a sensational level, it could be like flying or, you know, being able to, you know, let's think about Decentraland Pride happening right now. There's a pride parade that's running uh, for 30 days straight. Uh, if that happened in real life, everybody would be dead. You know, <laughs> it wouldn't be possible. Um, but also let's think on a more practical level, right? If, if I'm a, a young trans person living in Saudi Arabia and I don't feel mm-hmm. comfortable going outside, you know, as my authentic self, maybe in the metaverse, I can feel comfortable in my avatar skin. Um, you know, if mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm somebody who, um, is gay and living in a, you know, a very remote village where maybe I'm the only person who identifies that way in my immediate circle or you don't have anybody to talk to about it, you can now go online and, you know, have, have interactions with people. Um, and I'm sure there are many, many more use cases beyond, you know, those, those are to my immediate experience. But um, I think that it's really, the, the doors are definitely open. And the last thing I'll say on that point is, um, I think that it's wise that we 
embrace the technology at its early stages now in terms of, you know, becoming accustomed to virtual spaces, virtual worlds, artificial reality, um, you know, Snapchat filters, Instagram filters, etc. Because um, in our very immediate future, so from my perspective, within the next five or 10 years, we are going to move into an extended reality future where we will wear glasses, you know, that that thereby, you know, extend Mm -hmm. our virtual worlds into our physical environments. And we will be able to do things like, you know, touch the air and turn down the temperature in the room or, you know, uh, uh, swipe up. Yeah. Swipe up and order food without having to take out our phone. And, and to the, and to going back, just last, last thing I want to say on that point, going back to the point of the, let's say the, the concerned mother who's worried about their, their child spending all of, all of their time in their phone. Um, that's the solution. And it's a little bit long-term, but that's the solution. Eventually I think we're going to move from here to out here. And I think that's when, you know, this, Mm. this digital realm will seem a lot less dystopic. Uh, but anyway, mm. that's my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's an interesting point. So basically kind of getting rid of the screen and going beyond the screen as a kind of uh, next profession solution. This is something that, um, yeah, we also one of guests of our podcast, uh, I think it was episode nine, I believe, Kostas Kazansis, he was also kind of talking about it from more like, you know, a creative technologist experiential perspective. But yeah, similar kind of uh, long-term uh, goal. I, I'm curious to see it, you know, on my end, I see more of a either to the forest or to the screen kind of attitude. So either we kind of have this like uh, uh, echo core, um, you know, loving the village countryside uh, lifestyle, or people are interested in, uh, yeah, metaverse, blockchain and technology. But like, I, I really don't think it's neither nor I was at the uh, Global Fashion Summit this week, and uh, one super sweet guy who's specializing in fashion sustainability and very interested in consumer behavior, he said, I know nothing about uh, sustainability and digital fashion and NFTs, all of that. Um, and he said, I mean, do you think it's bad? Like, in a way, do you think it's ignorant? I said, no, I think you're just delaying the process because as you work in the space, it's just like you're putting it on hold and if you're just going to do it, you're just going to learn about it, but just a little bit later. So I think it's not, I don't think it's ignorance because sometimes we don't always have to be uh, up to date with all what's happening now, now, or about to come. Uh, not, if everybody would do that, we couldn't make for society impossible. But anyway, uh, I would like to ask you, this is pretty much my last question. So this is the perspective you're sharing with others. This is your take on it. But what would you like to learn more about? Like, what do you feel like it would be amazing to, you know, because you're so aware of the space, uh, you know, you, you know, so many different perspectives. What do you would like to learn more about? I mean, I think that our jobs, you know, as being operators in this space are constantly learning um, and constantly mm-hmm. developing. I mean, we're really dealing with complete bleeding edge technology. Um, you know, every few months I kind of have the, should I go back and do a PhD? Should I go back and do a PhD? Um, you know, conversation in my mind, um, just cause there's, there's so much information available. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I'm writing a book right now. I, I'm, I'm definitely working on that. And, and in that what process, about? you know, I'm still always learning. Um, it's called the Web3 Bible. Um, I'm looking at it as um, very much like a guide, a guide, like Hitchhiker's Guide to Web3 um, and, and to delve Amazing. in, uh, you know, to, to all of these topics that we're talking about today. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in that process, I really do, I, I value two things. Obviously, I, I value, you know, traditional, let's say, knowledge. So I think that, you know, delving in deeper into technologies and understanding things further within the realms of haptics and how can we bring, you know, mm-hmm. um, how can we further blend the realm, you know, the realms of um, digital and, and physical from a production standpoint. I'm 
always very interested in that, and I'm working with some really incredible people um, in Los Angeles, people like Peter Martin and Krista Kim, um, who are like pushing things forwards, I think, in the realm of, you know, um, digital humans and, and pairings and things like that. And I'm very excited. Also, in terms of how that applies to education, I'm very excited about that. Um, but also, you know, I think on, on – uh, I lost my train of thought, and I had a good, good second thing I was going to say, but let me see if I can rewind and remember. Um, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Um, Yes, I do remember the other thing I was going to say. So pretending like I, I didn't, I didn't say anything there. Um, so that's yeah. So that's the first thing. And then the, the second thing I think I'm really interested in is um, actually user experiences and learning from people um, who are interacting in this environment. Because mm-hmm. I think when we're considering onboarding people, when we're considering people coming into this world, um, even even those of us who have been in this space for a year, two years, three years, five years. Um, we have a huge advantage over others. And I don't want to say that in a kind of elitist way, but, you know, we have a lot of information already and a lot of things yeah. are common knowledge to us, as we've talked about, you know, that other people may be completely unaware of. And, it, and it's almost this, <laughs> it's almost a different uh, level of ignorance where this is, this is obvious to us. You know, I think once you've, mm. you've taken the blue pill and gotten into the, you know, the Web3 decentralization mindset, um, it, it does almost seem obvious, um, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. But that being said, I do think that hearing people and hearing about their first experiences doing things like entering the metaverse or buying an NFT and seeing how you can talk to those people and how you can improve those user experiences um, are really important to me. And I think in terms of what I can learn, I think the biggest thing I can learn is how many people can I interface with and talk to um, and figure out what their perspective is on this whole thing and then use that information to hopefully help continue to push the space forwards. Yeah, uh, great. That's excellent. Uh, I think it's a a very big, important topic, you know, how to distribute knowledge about it, and then also how to, how to basically make everything more accessible, more equitable, and also how to learn from our collective experiences to to grow farther. And I think here, yeah, the user experience is incredibly important. And also another thing that is good to think about, you know, how it will really impact us, how does it change us? Because the, you know, being in web free, uh, or going into metaverse. Uh, I'm not saying that I would use those words interchangeably, but this is how we, you know, refer them uh, right now. Eco- it's the same ecosystem, is what I like to say. The same yeah. ecosystem, exactly. Yeah. You know, they will impact our cognition. They will impact our bodies, the way we think, the way we perceive things. I also, I think it's it's like a goldmine for scientists of different sorts to examine those things to dig deeper. So I'm very excited. I mean, to see I can't wait to decentralize industries like what you just mentioned, you know, like science and research and, and education. Yeah. I mean, yeah. imagine if you could, if you're a PhD student or a master's student, you can now hypothetically get a lecture on a VR headset or, you know, through a hologram um, from somebody on in anywhere in the world. And that's already very exciting. You know, just that that in and of itself, you know, anything yeah. that we can do to further break down our borders, I think, is is incredibly progressive in terms of yes. technology. Yeah. So yeah, let's break the borders. I think this is a good ending to our conversation. David, thank you so much for talking to me. It was a pleasure. I think we could go on for another 30 minutes, but let's stop here. At least, at least. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's always <laughs> a pleasure. So thank you so much.